so excited. We just, and I'm afraid though, sometimes as we get into this, and if you grew up around it, if you're not careful, you can get numb to it. It just kind of becomes something you're so used to knowing and hearing, you just kind of get to where you don't pay attention. You, you just do your thing, right? And I grew up, I had no choice about going to church. I really didn't have any choice about being in the Christmas program and things like that when I was a kid. And then I was the kid that, I, it, was, it wasn't always a good experience for me. I have great memories, but it wasn't always a good experience because I was that one kid that had to, for some reason, I don't know why I was this way. But I can remember knowing that if I did a little something something goofy that people would laugh, but I also knew I was going to get in big trouble. And I knew I didn't want what was going to happen when I got in big trouble, but I can remember thinking it was worth the risk and doing it anyway. And so sometimes after Christmas program was a very difficult time for me. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, there's, there's still good memories, right? But the thing about it is, is we just get numb to it if we're not careful. The thing about that I want us to focus on today is the baby Jesus Everybody wants to talk about baby Jesus. Baby Jesus seems so harmless, right? It's the Jesus beaten and battered beyond recognition, hanging on a cross, dying a horrible death because of our sin that we don't like to think about. You know, and if it wasn't for that cross and that empty tomb, there would have been no point to a baby being born in Bethlehem. However, had he not been born in Bethlehem in a unique way, he could not have gone to the cross and conquered death and paid for our sins, right? Uh, so this is the central focus, uh, uh, baby Jesus, of not just our nativity scenes and things like that, but it should be the central focus of our lives and everything that we do. Because without Jesus, there's no Christianity, I mean, there are a lot of religions, it's been said, that you could take Muhammad out of Islam and keep the teachings, and you could still kind of go along like you're doing. Um, you know, you could take Buddha out of Buddhism and keep the teachings, and you could kind of still do what you're doing. Uh, you could take Confucius out of Confucianism, and you know what I'm saying? But you can't take Christ out of Christianity and just keep the teachings that he had and it be the same. It can't because it is all about who he is, and it's not just what he said. He's a living Savior that lives in us today. He died for our sins, rose victori victoriously. He's ruling and reigning from heaven. He's ruling and reigning in our hearts. And one of these days, he's coming back. It's all about him. Apart from Christ in the manger, Christianity would just be another empty feeding trough. Huh? Christ is what sets it apart from every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world is about things that you do to try to get to the next level or get to heaven or paradise or whatever it is. But this is the one that's different. You can't lump them all together because it starts out by saying that you can't do it. You can't get there. There's nothing you can do. There's no way you can earn it. In fact, the way it begins is when you come to the point that you realize you're a sinner and you can't do it, and you acknowledge that sin, you take ownership of that sin, we call that repentance, and you turn to him, uh, confessing that you're a sinner, and putting all of your trust and all of your faith in him and what he did on your behalf. That's the difference. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Jesus Christ and Christianity are one and the same. And Christians... Those of us, I mean that word gets thrown around a lot today, but those of us who are called by Christ's name. See, we're not just people who believe his teachings and follow his ways. Listen to me. 
We are people who are personally, individually, and miraculously related to him and have a real ongoing relationship with him personally. So amid all the stuff that's going on and all the craziness, it's a little even more weird this year than ever before, right? Uh, it's easy with all of this stuff that's going on to lose the simplicity. I mean, the sincere devotion and purity that, uh, that, that it's really supposed to be all about. And it's easy to kind of lose our devotion. It's easy to lose our focus on Jesus. There's so many other things going on that we get our focus off of the one, the great I am, and onto a lot of other stuff. We don't mean to. It just kind of happens, you know. We just get distracted. And that's, you know, all of the... You know, I, I love all of the, I'm not a decorator, and, um, and fortunately my wife is, but if it wasn't for her, I would need serious help, right? But, um, but I like it. I enjoy it, okay? I enjoy it. And true, I did climb all over the roof again, putting lights up, risking my life, right? And, you know, the grandkids like it, you know? And, and so that's one of these days I'm, you know, I, I might actually give my life doing that. I don't know, but uh, I won't be able to crawl around up there too many more years. But I, I enjoy it. But all of the lights and all of the stuff, instead of directing us to the one, it can distract us from him, right? And I like what Paul reminds us um, as, we, as we look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, or verse uh, 3. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, he says this. He said, but I fear. Uh, he's talking to the Corinthians about the same thing. I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, he's also at work on you. He says, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that's what happens is our minds get distracted, get corrupted from the simplicity. Or the pure uh, sincerity and devotion that is in Christ. And we get distracted onto other things. So when we talk about this birth that we read in Matthew chapter 1, uh, there's some things we want to notice about it. Because not only was he Lord at his birth, as we said, but he was always been Lord. And he is Lord today. And for him to come into humanity the way he did and be fully human and fully divine is incredible. And the thing we want to look at first this morning is his divine nature. And because he is who he says he is, his birth had to be like no other birth that has ever happened. And we're going to talk about that virgin birth today. Uh, his birth was like no other. His birth was unique. There's never been one like his. No other, no other birth was prophesied as much as Jesus' birth was. Even there was so much that was prophesied, even magi from the east. And that would be people coming. These guys later on came from an area that's... Uh, you know, much in the area of what we would call Iraq today and in their day where Babylon had been. And so how did these guys know enough to be studying the times and, 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 and notice the sign and come all the way there because they knew a king, a deliverer, a prince, a messiah was going to be born? Well, it was because if you remember who was in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Judah was, and Daniel, and Ezekiel, and many of those prophets lived there, and had influence there, and taught there, and some of their people, some of this truth had filtered through, and they knew these things, and they knew enough to come from a long way. Isn't it strange that these people came from such a long way with very little truth that they had? They were able to put it together. And then some of the ones who had all of it and lived right there close and around it, they, they didn't. They didn't see it. And when they did see it, they rejected it. 
I want to be careful that that doesn't happen to me. You can grow up right around it. You can be in church. You can hear all this stuff all of your life, but you really end up rejecting who Jesus is in your own life, in your own relationship with him. Uh, so they came seeking him, and we want to seek him as well. And Isaiah, we read this verse earlier, and uh, Cheryl shared this with us. We sang about this verse We've worshipped God. This has been in us and going through our hearts and our minds. And now I want to look at it in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're speaking prophetically hundreds of years before, like 800 years before Christ was born. Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's very important you don't just let this verse pass you by. Did you notice that it says that the child is born? And then it also says the son is given. And right there, hundreds of years ahead of time, God gave us an insight and a hint into the dual nature of Christ. That he would be fully divine, he would be fully human at the same time. And that would be necessary to bring a perfect God and sinful humanity together. All of it's right here. The child is born, the son is given. And so the child had to be born, right? If God is going to invade humanity, if God himself is going to live in human flesh, he would have to be born and not just appear somewhere. You have to go through the whole experience, right? And so the child was born. And for him to do that, that as God, how could flesh, how could humanity contain him? Is that he voluntarily lowered himself and humbled himself to appear in the flesh. Paul writes about it in one of the most incredible passages in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to put that up there, but this is a verse we refer to all the time in Philippians chapter 2. Now, I think the New Living Translation really captures the essence of the thought of what the original says there. So I'm going to use that here, where he says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, Though he was God, speaking about Jesus. Right before that, he says you need to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Who? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, that he willingly gave up his divine privileges. He took, he voluntarily, is the implication, took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. There's Jesus lowering himself, humbling himself to come in the flesh as equal to God, but not clinging to that, but willing to do this, to come and appear as like a slave and to be obedient to the plan of the Father and to even go to a death on a cross. And so... The child was born, and he's telling us about just how that happened right there. But the son was given, right? The child was born. Remember Isaiah 6, uh, Isaiah 9, verse 6. The, the child was born, the son was given. And you remember, God told us that in John three sixteen. He said, for God loved the world so much, God so loved the world that he what? He gave. 
He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So He was born, but He had to be given. He could be born into the flesh, but the Son had to be given. Why? Because He already existed from eternity. And because He already existed forever, He couldn't be born. He had to be given. But as far as his life in the flesh and humanity, that had to be born for him to come into the flesh. So both are right there. And both are true. And when he was born, what did the angel say you will call him? Emmanuel. We sing about that. We worshiped and, and praised God with those words. But we were, it was interpreted for us that, that Emmanuel means what? God with us. God with us. So he is God with us in the flesh. Fully God, yet fully human. Wonder of wonders. How could that be? In fact, Paul explains to the Colossians. In another verse I want to reference in Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. Here's what he said about Jesus. That Christ in Christ. In Christ all the fullness of deity. All the fullness of all that God is. Lives in bodily, physical form. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Full is full, right? If something is full, you can't get any more into it. That, that's what he's telling us. Even when he was here, in bodily form, in the flesh. That in Christ is all of God. He's fully God, yet he was fully human. That blows my mind. He is the great I am, isn't he? He is the great I am. In fact, those I am statements, Cheryl, that you shared during worship are so powerful. Because when he said it, if you read in the original language of the New Testament in Koine Greek, you find that he didn't just say it the normal way you would say like I am and you tell who you are or what you do. He said it in an emphatic way that wasn't the normal way. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they knew what he was saying. Because when he said I am, he said it in such a way that sounded like I am. And does that ring a bell with anyone? Do you remember when Moses asked God, he said, what will I tell them your name I mean is when they asked me he said tell them I am I am that I am I am I have always been God is always present tense right he's eternal the past is present with him the present is present with him the future is present with him he is the eternal I am and one of the day Pharisees were arguing with Jesus and these guys that pretended to worship Jehovah God God in the flesh appears and he doesn't fit what they thought he would be. So they reject him. And Jesus is talking to them in John chapter 8, verse 58. And he says something to them that blew their mind. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, he doesn't say I existed. He says this, before Abraham was, and he says it in an emphatic way, I am. Boom, mind's blown. In fact, they couldn't, they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming there. So much so they wanted to take stones and kill him. He was claiming to be, he was identifying himself with the I am. And before Abraham was even born, I am. The son was given because he existed from all eternity. Though there was a day that he was born into the flesh in Bethlehem, he had always existed so you could ask Jesus, you know, before he goes to the cross, Jesus, just how old are you, right? And 
you know, you get to a certain age where you don't appreciate people asking you that question. But let's say you can ask Jesus, Jesus, just how old are you anyway? And he could say, well, let's see. On my mama's side, I'm 33. But on my father's side, I'm the ancient of days. Amen. I am the ever, from everlasting to everlasting. So you have both of these together in who our Jesus is. And Paul emphasizes this to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, when he talks about the blessed hope. You know, we did a whole series in the past several months going through verse by verse the book of 1 Peter. And the kind of central theme is a living hope, hope alive. And it is a blessed hope. What is that blessed hope? It's what we're looking for. It's what we are is motivating us. And so he reminds them in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. That's it. That's our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of, notice how he says it, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our great God and Savior. Did you know in the original language, those are connected? It's not saying our great God and also, you know, someone else, our Savior. No, it's talking about the same person. This is talking about one person that Jesus is at the same time as he's our Savior. He is also our great God. Paul says it so clearly right there. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's both of those things. Well, if he's going to be that, and if he's going to be fully human and fully God, we got some problems we got to deal with here. we got to work out. Are you ready? Let's look at it. Because his birth has to be like no other. And we talk about the virgin birth and things like that, and we don't realize how essential that is to the teaching of the New Testament. Uh, how could God, are you with me? You got, you got to say something. Or I'm just going to just keep. Are you, you, you know? I'm the kind of guy that if we're going somewhere and I'm talking and I say, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And you don't respond. I'm just going to keep saying, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And at some point I'm going to try to get in your line of vision. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I'm, and then I'll start tapping. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I need some response. Some interaction. So we got some things to talk about. here. How could God become human yet remain uninfected by humanity's sinfulness? Right? How could God become flesh without being corrupted by sin? Because a sinful Savior can't save anybody. A human Savior that's merely only human couldn't save anybody. So that means he would have been just as contaminated as we are. So his birth, as well as his life, would have to be unique. It was a real birth, it really happened. In real time on planet earth. It was a natural birth. But it was also a supernatural birth. Okay. So here are the possibilities. And I've had these in my notes for so many different things. And so for so long. I can't remember what I originally kind of got this. It may have been C.S. Lewis. But anyway. You can figure that out later. But here's some of the possibilities that the father had at his disposal. Okay, so let's just think it through. What were the possibilities? Are you thinking with me? Okay, here we go. First of all, he could have had a good, if you're going to send a Savior and a Deliverer that had been promised from Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve sinned, if you're going to do this, uh, he could have been a, a good human. He could have had come from a good human father and a good human mother. I mean, find the very best that humanity has to offer, and he could have come through them. But there's a problem. There's an inescapable dilemma that's inherent with natural conception in that we are all born sinners. 
We've inherited sin all the way from Adam. It's like in our DNA. You don't even have to teach us how to do it. If you don't believe that, you are signed up to work in nursery. <laughs> and you see how these innocent little babies are, can be so conniving and selfish. It's in us. In fact, David said in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. It didn't mean his mother was sinning when she got pregnant. It meant that she was a sinner, and I was a born sinner. We are sinners by nature. When Adam sinned, it's like the whole human race fell with him. And everyone that's descended from Adam, Paul talks about this in Romans, and, he also, and the writer of Hebrews uh, mentions it, and, and also Paul talks about it in Corinthians, that Adam represents all of us. This first man, Adam, we all, in Adam, we all die because we've all sinned. Paul talks about that. I'm not going to go to all those verses right now. But then in like Corinthians, he says, but the second man, the second Adam from above, and he calls Christ the second man from above, we can all have life. Through this one man, we all have become sinners and are dying. And, but through this other man, Jesus, we can all conquer sin and have life. And uh, so he makes that comparison. So if we just have human father and human mother, then we would be unavoidably, he would have been unavoidably sinful and no deity. The sinful nature would have been passed down. He would have been helpless to have been our savior. Okay, so guess what? That won't work. Won't work if God's going to save us. Okay, secondly, well, if that won't work, perhaps... He could have done it this way. He could have come as a supernatural being, much like an angel, with no father or mother. He could have been preserved from sin's contamination. But if that would have happened, he would have been all deity and no humanity. And he could not have been a savior because a savior has to be a perfect representative of both God and humanity. So this would not work. Um, sorry. <laughs> We're jumping around here. I'm, in way of review, let's look at all the verses that we've already done. Oh, man. All right. I don't know what button that I pushed, but it happened. All right. We know eh, on that one. Now, here's where we were. I'm just trying to take you along because I want to engage your eyes as well as your minds and your hearts and your ears. That's why we use these tools. Right? Satan uses every tool he can use. To distract us. So I'm going to use whatever tool I have available to help us focus. Okay? Right? That's why this is so important. All right. And that won't work either. Supernatural being uh, that just popped in from the spirit world. Paul emphasizes this. Or the writer of Hebrews. Whoever he may be. God instructed it to be written. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. The writer says. Inasmuch then as the children. That's all of us. That's all humans. Right? Yeah? Got any humans here today? You know, some may be questionable. Okay. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. All right? That's us. He himself, talking about Jesus, shared in the same. Why? Why did he have to share in flesh and blood? That in the flesh he could do this. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. 
We find out in the Bible the wages of sin is death. So without sin, technically you would never die. Well, Jesus was perfect and without sin, but why did Jesus die? It was still because of sin, but guess what? Because he was perfect and sinless in the flesh, he could take all of my sin, all of your sin, and he had those placed upon him by the Father, and he died for those sins. And he conquered sin and death. He might destroy him who had the power of sin and death. That is the devil. And then in verse 17, he says, Therefore, in all things, did you hear that? All things, he had to be made like his brethren. That's us. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make a propitiation. That word means a covering for the sins of the people. So he was tempted. He went through things just like every one of us. And so whenever you're praying and you're being rejected, when you're praying and you're going through tough times, you have pain, you have sickness. I tell you, Jesus, we don't only have a God that knows all things. We have a God that knows how it feels because he actually came down here and experienced Experienced it in the flesh. That's awesome. That does blow my mind. That's why we get so excited about this. So the other two options we've looked at would not have worked because of this. So what is it then? Well, how about this? He could have chosen to select a virgin. Are you with me? Who, through miraculous conception could give birth to a child because there's no male seed involved. This child could be born into humanity through the woman and not be and not be the seed of Adam. He would not be the seed of man. He would be the seed of the woman. Now, you know enough about the birds and the bees in here to understand that the male has the seed, the female has the egg, right? Do we have to go into all that? So in the beginning, when it said the seed of the woman, God was telling us something about this unique birth. He could choose to select a virgin who, through miraculous conception, could give birth to a child who would not be the seed of Adam, of man, but would be the seed of the woman. In Genesis 3.15, right after Adam and Eve sinned, God announced that the seed of the woman would crush the enemy's head. That made no sense till now that you understand the virgin birth. Without a male, she became pregnant. And this was the plan that God had. So now he could both be fully human and fully divine. Fully pure human and fully God, fully divine. This is what the scriptures teach, folks. The reality according to scripture is this. About 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah stood before King Ahaz and prophesied the special event that would serve as a sign to the nation. Here it is. And Oh, man, I don't know what's going on here. Here it is. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name. We sang it, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's right. And so 800 years before, God had told that it would happen. The virgin birth is part of the foundation of who Christ is as Savior. And Satan understands this. So it's no wonder he works, he works so hard today to tear that down. 
Well, people are always trying to undermine this teaching, but I'm telling you, if you don't understand this and you undermine this teaching, it all falls apart from there. It's true that the word for virgin in the Hebrew basically means a young maiden. And some people say, oh, that word just means a young maiden. But you need to understand that in those days, a Jewish girl that young that was not married was a virgin. It's what we would refer to her as today. Because if she wasn't, there were a lot of things in the law that made it really tough. When the Hebrew Old Testament was then translated into Greek, it was known as the Septuagint. This word was given a more narrow meaning because even those people understood that it was more than just a young woman. And it was translated using a Greek word means one who had not known another intimately. The translators understood that. This same more precise Greek word was then used when God was instructing Luke to write his gospel. Parthenos. It's used in Luke. Luke's record is really valuable because what was Luke? He was a physician, right? He's a doctor. And so he has a medical mind. And so going through him and the Holy Spirit writing through him, this was really evaluated. And I'm just going to put some of these up there because I'm going to turn there in Luke and, and just see how this comes out in Luke's gospel. Luke tells us that in the sixth month, <clears throat> the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So she was betrothed. Now, you do understand, too many people try to interpret the Bible like it happened in uh, Bible Belt America in the 21st century. you got to understand the context. you got to understand the culture, which it was first written. And when you understand that, then you can apply it to us in our day. And, it, and it's just as relevant now as it was then. And the point is, is that in that culture, there were arranged marriages, right? That probably Joseph's folks had paid a dowry for her. There's already been a deal made. Don't you wish it was that way today? Huh? We got teenagers here. Don't you wish your parents could go ahead and make a deal and pick out who you're going to spend the rest of your life with? Huh? It's like, oh man. Hey, teenagers, I got to tell you something. Probably your parents have got more wisdom about who you should be with than, than what we do because we go purely on emotions and hormones, right? Yeah, okay, so there is that. Uh, there are still some cultures that do arrange marriages, but, um, you know, but in another way, it would be kind of tough, but that's the reality. I mean, that's what Joseph and Mary had. They, 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 there had been a deal made and a legal agreement of engagement, betrothal, betrothal. Kind of like to say in that, betrothal. And, and, and it's, it's legal. So they were already betrothed. They were already, so we would call that engaged. Um, and like I said, a dowry would be paid. I mean, you know, uh, if you're dad, you got to, you know, how many lambs or goats or things you'd have to give to, you know, secure this deal. So, you know, been some money paid down. Now, all of a sudden, they have this legal agreement. And time passed. It could be up to a year or so before they're legally married and come together. During that time, if something happens, they couldn't just call off the engagement. I mean, you think it's hard to call off the engagement now. They had a legal binding agreement, and it was, they had to, be, she had to put her away. It was, a, it was what you would call a divorce. There had to be a legal proceeding to break that deal. Okay, so that's why it sounds this way, that they were betrothed, uh, she was betrothed already to Joseph, 
who was of, did you notice the house of David? Because it was prophesied that the Messiah would come through the line of David, okay? And the virgin's name was Mary, and he said to her, this is the angel speaking, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she tried to, she was troubled. I mean, an angel pops out of nowhere and starts talking to you and tell you you're favored. I reckon so, right? It's going to be very upsetting. Um, she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid. An angel appears and starts talking. That's one thing you're going to be needing to hear is calm down, don't be afraid. And it says, Mary, for you have, been, you have found favor with God. It says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of David forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. All right, so Mary is a young woman. And you got to understand, in that culture, a lot of times, girls were married at, you know, like by 14. I mean, if you're sweet 16 or 18, you're getting to be an old maid, right? So she's a young woman. But she knows enough about the birds and the bees, too, that she's got a question. Okay, I'm going to have a baby. I may be engaged, but I've never been intimate with a man. And so, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin. Literally, the Greek reads that I know not a man. I do not know a man. Know as in intimate knowledge. She knows that. There's a problem here. So the angel answers. I don't know why people struggle with this so much. It's really clear, isn't it? Angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. This is going to be a miraculous conception through the Holy Spirit. And so they understood, Luke understood, Mary understood, everybody understood. I don't know why people today can't understand. This is very clear. So you've heard a lot of critics argue that, well, she was only a virgin. I mean, they even try this. She was only a virgin at the time the angel talked to her. That surely her, because they try to make Jesus less than who he was. A lot of these people try to make Jesus just a guy. And not also God. Let me tell you, if Jesus is less than who I'm teaching that the Bible says that he is, he couldn't be a savior. And that's why a lot of the cults, Deny the deity of Christ because without that, then that leaves you to work your way on into heaven and it leaves them to control how you do that. Can't work your way in. Um, some will say, well, that may have been true when the angel first talked to her, but then her and Joseph had relations and then this baby is born and then this whole myth started around that. Now, no, it's not true. That's not true because in Matthew tells us after the now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows we read this earlier actually after his mother Mary was betrothed there's our word again to Joseph before they came together now that doesn't mean they hadn't met each other it means they hadn't been intimate with each other oh quit looking at me like that you know this is the bible's really clear on all this stuff it's like, hey, they're talking about stuff. Hey, this is right there in the text. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That's why the angel had to go visit Joseph. Can you imagine Joseph as Mary comes to him? And it's like, you know, they're engaged and they're counting down the days. And she's like, Joseph, I have something I have to tell you. What's that? 
I'm pregnant. His whole world just sunk right there. And she has to stop. It's not what you think. He knew he hadn't been with her. How'd you get pregnant? Holy Spirit, Joseph. Yeah, right. And if you read on, the angel actually comes and visits Joseph. And the angel tells him, this is exactly what happened. And it is okay to take her as your wife. He was going, I read it earlier when we did our scripture reading, remember? The angel came and visited him and said, it's okay. Because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And so she was pregnant before her and Joseph came together. And then after Jesus was born, as evidence is that they did have children together. So according to the Jewish custom, they were betrothed. And the only way to break it up and to, to stop that would be by a legal proceeding. And so that's why the angel comforted him and reassured him. And so Matthew comments on this then as the fulfillment of Isaiah seven fourteen that she's going to have a baby and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. All right. Now, the virgin birth has far-reaching ramifications of practical significance. Because Christianity is Christ, and if Christ were only just a man, then Christianity is a human religion. And a man-made religion falls apart in at least these areas. All man-made religions fall apart in these areas. First of all, A natural Savior provides no supernatural help. And you and I need supernatural help. We need supernatural forgiveness and peace. Secondly, a strictly human Savior offers no divine hope. Life would just be an empty dream if Christ were only a man. Nothing really would matter. There's nothing out there. You might as well just do what you can do and get by with what you can get by with. Eat, drink, and be merry because you die tomorrow. There would be no meaning to anything. Okay. I don't know why I'm yelling. I think it's because I'm passionate about this. Thirdly, a sinful Savior couldn't be a Savior at all. He's got to be more than human. All right, these are just three ways. So, I want to tell you the virgin birth of Christ, like his pre existence in eternity past, is more closely connected to our lives than you might have realized. You might have thought, well, that's something the church teaches and believes, but I don't know. But this is essential, folks. It is essential. The truth of it, the truth of this, in closing, all right, tune in. The truth of this. The truth of this guarantees supernatural help in our natural helplessness. I think, not only does the scripture say I can't help myself, I think I have proven over and over I can't help myself. I need God's help. I need supernatural help. I need a savior. A savior who is both at the same time completely God and completely human that could pay for my sins and bring Sinful me together with a perfect God. And also, I not only need supernatural help in my natural helplessness, I need divine hope in my mortal hopelessness. This brings hope. This changes everything. This mystery, this, listen to me, this mysterious mingling of this. This is how it's been said through the ages. 
of uncompromised deity plus perfect or complete humanity. That was Jesus. Fully God, complete deity, together with perfect humanity, complete humanity, equals a Savior qualified to meet our deepest need. Christmas just got a lot deeper, didn't it? That's what's going on, and that's why we celebrate it. But we don't just celebrate it this time of year. And it's true, this time of year is probably not exactly when he was born. And in the New Testament, there are no legalistic requirements for festivals or holy days. So we can, we can do this this time of year, but guess what? You can celebrate it every day of your life. And one of these days, this great God and Savior is going to receive you to himself. That blessed hope. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father.